I want you to be honest. What feelings spring to mind when I say the word prayer? My guess is that for many of us, it feels really boring. It feels like a bit of a drag. It's a bit of a duty or an obligation. But at the same time, you kind of feel guilty about your lack of prayer, which is no great surprise. I mean, I think our day and age has got to be one of the hardest times in all of history to pray for all sorts of reasons, like there are multinational corporations spending billions of pounds on marketing campaigns with one goal in mind, namely to distract and addict you. And it's coming at you constantly through that small device that you carry around in your pocket. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that if you were stuck in a queue in the supermarket or you were taking a lunch break or you were on a long journey where you just had nothing to do, you experienced this thing called boredom. Can any of you remember that? Some of you, I'm guessing, are too young to know what on earth I'm talking about. It was a long time ago, like 20 years ago. There used to be those little moments in the day where there was absolutely nothing to do that were like these potential opportunities to pray a minute here five minutes there to wake up to the reality of God but now I think for the most part pretty much all of those moments are gone our instinctive reaction isn't it has shifted from reaching for God to reaching for our phone We put it out and check the news or the weather or one of our many social media accounts or we send a message or check something out on Google. We also have more money or at least access to credit than any other generation. And let's face it, money can often do what prayer can do. It's like we can buy our way out of trouble. And with more money, I think comes more activity. Let's go out, let's take a holiday, let's do this, let's do that. And so we're busy doing stuff. We're always on the go. Most of us just don't have time to pray. And then on top of all of that, the secular culture that we live in just breeds cynicism and sucks away our faith. Like, even if we pray and our prayers are answered, we kind of wonder whether that thing would just have happened anyway. Like, was it just a coincidence? My point is, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, prayer is the weak point in our Christian lives. But we must get to the bottom of this because as we read through the Gospels, it's really hard to get past the fact that for Jesus, prayer was absolutely the center point of his life. It was woven into the fabric of his day-to-day existence. It was a vital part of his whole humanity. He made time for it even when he was incredibly busy. He would stay up all night because for Jesus, prayer was even more important than sleep. And it certainly didn't seem like a drag for him. It wasn't like a duty to check off his to-do list. It seemed like he really enjoyed praying. Now, all that to say, the verses we're going to be reading today, they give us a really helpful insight into why prayer was such a priority for Jesus. And on top of that, we're going to get some advice straight from the mouth of Jesus about how to actually go about praying, as well as a few words about how not to pray. Let's read what he says. Matthew 6, picking it up in verse 5. When you pray... 
So Jesus just kind of assumes we do pray. Doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I'll tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. I don't know what you think, but I suggest we get a very clear picture here of what prayer is. It's simply talking to God. In other words, it's all about relationship. And as you know, relationship requires conversation. But the end goal of conversation isn't merely to talk. It's to connect with. It's to experience someone else. And I suggest it's exactly the same with prayer. The end goal is connecting with and experiencing God, who Jesus here is at pains to stress, is our Father. Jesus clearly thought of God as his Father. And get this, he wants you to do the same. Twice in verse 6 and again in verse 8, Jesus refers to God as your Father. And then in verse 9, as our Father. Now look, I recognise this is incredibly hard for some of you. The whole breakdown of the family over the last few decades, I guess a lot of you have a fractured relationship with your father. And so to kind of think of God as your father isn't necessarily a positive thing. For many of you, it kind of triggers emotional pain and trauma from your childhood. I just want to say, this might take you a while. You may need to go on a bit of a journey of emotional and spiritual healing to be able to view God being your father as a positive thing. But I would say that is a journey that is well worth taking because for Jesus, this really matters. It is the number one thing you need to understand about prayer. And the reason why this is so important is because what comes into your mind's eye when you pray, what springs to mind when you think of God, who you pray to, that will ultimately make or break your prayer life. John Tyson, church leader and writer who I've had the privilege of meeting on a couple of occasions, he puts it like this, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years and they still haven't got past the word holy, 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 holy. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who's boring. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. So think about it. If you picture a God like a grumpy old man up in the sky who's mad at you for not praying enough, 
Or if you think of him as the CEO of the universe governing everything and you're just like a minion and he doesn't really have time for you, so why bother him when he's got way more important things to be focusing on? Or if you think of God more like an energy force than a person, then I guess you'll never want to pray. You'll never have this hard attitude of, I really want to be with him. But if you think of God as your father, that is a whole different story. For starters, it prevents you falling into the two wrong ways of praying that Jesus touches on in this passage. First of all, in verse 5, where he warns against praying publicly on street corners and in synagogues so everyone can see you. And then down in verse 7, where he's pretty scathing, isn't he, about babbling on and on, repeating the same words again and again. Now look, before we either congratulate ourselves for never having prayed in our lives publicly on a street corner, or for that matter, in a synagogue, or if we fear that God is now against us because sometimes our prayers might resemble babbling, the key here, I think, is the heart behind these things. It's not so much about these specific actions as the motivation that's driving them. And really, in both cases, if you think about it, it's all about impressing others. Jesus is saying that if you pray in public so as to impress the people around you, then you may be rewarded in the moment by people thinking you're really very spiritual, but it will be short-lived. You may get the momentary applause of your friends, but you're missing out on connecting with your Father in heaven and the way, way, way deeper reward of experiencing more of the richness of his presence. And... If you feel as though you have to try and get God's attention by praying these really long, impressive prayers or saying the same thing over and over and over and over again in some desperate attempt to manipulate him into answering, then you're turning God into a begrudging giver and prayer into a burden. And once again, you're missing the point completely because he's your father. He already cares deeply for you. You don't have to get his attention. He already accepts you and welcomes you as a dearly loved child. On top of that, you don't have to keep repeating yourself in the hope of being heard. Jesus says, doesn't he, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Listen, Knowing that God's your father leads to tremendous freedom. Freedom from what other people think of you. Freedom where you can speak honestly to God about your needs. Freedom to bring your requests with confidence. Freedom just to be yourself and get your words jumbled up every now and again and express emotion and through it all to know that God is good and he's for you and he's with you and that the primary goal of prayer is joyful, grateful, worshipful enjoyment of your father's company. Now, Having cleared all of that up, Jesus then moves on to teach us how to pray. Verse 9, pray like this. And you know what? I think he actually meant it, that when we pray, we should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, he says, may your name be kept holy. 
May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, I think we should view this prayer in two halves. Do you notice how the first half is all addressed to God? Your name, your kingdom, your will. And then in the second half, Jesus focuses on the community of his followers. Give us, forgive us, rescue us. Now, just by way of an aside, could be wrong here, but I reckon Jesus is structuring this whole prayer around his teaching on the very highest value of the kingdom of God, the greatest command of all. Remember what it is? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And then love your neighbour as yourself. seems to me that Jesus has given us a model prayer that reflects those two crucial priorities, where we, first of all, orient ourselves to the Father and express our loyalty, our allegiance, our love to him and his priorities in our world. And then we turn our attention to us. And again, I think when he says us, he means us. Even though in most of our minds, I guess when we think of this prayer, we think in terms of me, give me my daily bread, forgive me, lead me not into temptation, rescue me. But Jesus says, us. And so there's some kind of communal element to this prayer. So this prayer gives us a model or if you like a template for how we can pray into Jesus' teaching about the kingdom and his command to love God and love our neighbour. And if we follow this model regularly, preferably daily, really all of those things that are priorities for Jesus will become over time ingrained into us. The flip side is, if we don't do this, the kingdom movement that Jesus is launching will lose momentum run out of steam, at least in our lives, if not in the lives of the people around us. So every line reflects something that Jesus thinks we need to be reminded of daily. Let's take a closer look at this prayer. He begins by reminding us of who it is we are praying to. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now this word holy speaks of God's uniqueness. He's one of a kind. He's other. He is set apart. It's like Jesus wants us to remember this because we live in a world, don't we, that certainly doesn't think of God's name as being holy or unique or other or set apart. His name isn't respected. It isn't revered in the way it should be or one day will be. And so Jesus wants us to join with him in praying for God's reputation to be restored in a world that is very much hostile to him. And really, the key way this will happen is through praying, verse 10, May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now don't miss this. Jesus is implying that the main way his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven is through 
prayer. Let's be honest. I think we often act as though it's through our hard work. It's through lots of activity. And that's all fine. I'm not saying don't do anything, but the main way is through prayer. Meaning that for Jesus, our prayers change reality. Our prayers usher heaven into earth. That the kingdom of heaven comes crashing into the present, erupting into our reality as we pray, bringing healing, bringing salvation, bringing righteousness, bringing justice. Now look, most of us don't believe this, or else surely we'd pray a whole lot more, wouldn't we? In reality, I suspect that a lot of us are so bent towards this idea that what's going to happen is going to happen with or without our prayers that we don't feel any urgency or any compulsion to pray. What Jesus is saying here is that when we pray, something happens. And by implication, when we don't pray, some of those things don't happen. It's like life is on one trajectory, you pray and something changes and life ends up being on a completely different trajectory. Or you don't pray, you watch Netflix instead and guess what? Nothing changes. But I don't think most of us really believe this, do we? It's like prayer is pretty deathly. The writer Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a spectre that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. And so, when you pray, come with anticipation that you have the potential to change reality. You get an opportunity to partner with the Spirit of God to bend reality in the direction of God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Because if we truly believed all this, it would have the potential to unlock a whole new dimension of prayer for you and for me. Just let it sink in. Prayer is more about delight than duty. Yeah, it's a discipline, but it's a means to an end. And the end is relationship with our Father who loves us deeply and only ever has good intentions towards us. And on top of that, our prayers make a difference. There are things in your life right now and in the lives of people you know that won't change unless you pray. 
Listen, God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as a result of our prayers. Now, when we believe all of this, then and only then are we ready to move on to the second half of this prayer. You see, without it, our prayers for the needs of our community are at best going to be half-hearted and lacking in faith. But from a place of confidence in who we're praying to and confidence in the effectiveness of prayer, we can then pray with confidence. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. In short, we're acknowledging that God is the source of everything we need, both physically, whether it's literally food in our cupboards or a job or financial provision. God wants us to bring our own needs and the needs of our community to him so he can provide. He's also the source of everything we need spiritually, whether it's forgiveness, his leadership, his deliverance. So in closing, here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Over the next week, why don't you pray through the Lord's Prayer every day? I remember, it's not so much about praying it as liturgy as using it as a model to shape what and how you pray. So pray a line and then use it as a springboard for your prayers. And to help you do this, if you check out the Church Central podcast every weekday for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to work back through this prayer bit by bit equipping you to use it in your own praying. Now I admit, all of this might feel more like a discipline to start off with, but discipline over time leads to delight. Like, without fail, all of the committed, faithful prayers I know are also the most peace-filled, joyous, radiant, bursting with hope people I know and I just don't think it's a coincidence and so my prayer is that you would move from practice to pleasure that you personally would come to really enjoy the father's company and as a result see your life and the lives of the people around you transformed more and more